Hello, and welcome back to Freshwater Perspectives. Today, we're going to be talking about the global dam dilemma. So make sure to stay tuned. Welcome back, Riley. What you uh, what you been up to the past week? Hey, Matt. I'm good. I um, what have I been up to? I was thinking about this before starting, and um, honestly, not a lot, right? Um, for my position, um, that I'm in right now, I obviously don't want to give too much detail on that specifically, but uh, one of my duties is a uh, permitting. Oh. Okay. And it's like just one of those things that you never learn in school unless you went to permitting school right i guess there's probably like an environmental policy thing but it's, it's not what i uh went to school for and now mm-hmm. it's a big part of my job so um you know wetlands uh <laughs> harvest like timber harvest um septic tanks i went out and saw a guy about a septic tank and stuff uh, let me tell you if you're thinking about like buying a home no not let me take that back if you're thinking about like uh getting a plot of land right and be like i'm gonna develop it just 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 know how much like those developers have to like be on the ball because mm-hmm. if not like you can really buy like a lease of land and then like if there's a wetland on it like the army corps will be at your door in, mm-hmm. in seconds right so it's it's interesting yeah. right like well even just the nitty-gritty I'm... just the nitty-gritty stuff within that so my dad so he's got property in south jersey of course um and he was just trying to put, you know, just like a big shed in the backyard to hold like his four wheelers and just all the lawn equipment and stuff. So obviously he'd want to pour like a concrete foundation, make sure it's not going to go anywhere for a while. So I guess being the guy that he is, he did like all the homework ahead of time and he found out. So if he poured a concrete foundation, it would be considered a livable dwelling in that municipality. So not only yep. would he have to pay taxes on it, but he'd taxes. have to have like he plumbing he had to have like everything in there and it's just like yeah. dude seriously but yeah. then he scrapped that and then just did you can do you know just like gravel kind of that's not what he wanted to do obviously but he's like forget it i'm not gonna yeah. be yeah. overcharged for this shed i know man it's um i i am still renting right and mm-hmm. um my wife and i newlyweds right we're we're getting close to i mean wherever we're gonna put down roots we'll be looking into houses and stuff um, we always put an offer on the place we live in now which is an apartment like a fourplex oh, okay and um this is a super big digression but you know it's like 100 years old and i was even the regulations on that and code i was like there's gotta be yeah there's gotta be something like in these walls what do these walls like skeletons are in there <laughs> but with <laughs> in regards to environmental permitting like, it's so important but like mm-hmm. it is just so interesting um what all goes into it like there are people agencies epa um army corps that that's just what they do right and Mm -hmm. it's like even with like these bigger things too like so there's army corps people yeah all all of the wetlands in the united states are run by army corps but then like you know riverways there's like safe harbor act there's stuff with like docks and construction Mm -hmm. permits and just so much work <laughs> yeah well even if you it. i mean this i think we need to make this its own podcast just We're like good. like policies and stuff because even when you get into like environmental like uh what is it you can forego you can like kind of sell off your environmental like your development rights there it is your development rights for like yeah. the lifetime of your property and then like the pros and cons of that where it's like the reset value goes down but of course you're like preserving that property like yeah. in perpetuity so yeah and there's like yeah a there's a number stuff one around like, that um the USDA does like a CRP lands or crep. Mm-hmm. I've heard of a couple different names you can call it, but it's a um, conservation acres where you reserve it. So there's, there's like farmland that you can do it. And then um, there's a number of, well, these are more so nonprofits. So there's land conservancies too, where you can be like, Hey, like this will be signed over to you for the general public. Mm. So there's that too. Um, I'm not too, well versed in it but yeah no there's a lot there's uh we talked about or a topic that came up this week too was like uh, carbon credits carbon credits so like um 
and facts police i'm very apologize what me matt and i don't necessarily again talk about what we're gonna talk about before this so um to give like a the shortest version i can give you is like mm-hmm. carbon credits it's like um i'm an industry say i'm a, a, a coal factory right mm-hmm. producing a lot of carbon to offset that like you can purchase credits so uh, i've heard of be, this yeah right so it could be I've like yeah. like hey we're not going to cut down these four like we're, we're starting a forest in this area we're not going to mm-hmm. cut it down and like that will sequester carbon mm-hmm. and like um yeah that will uh that could be a whole nother yeah um, podcast right too because i or, think they have it's called blue carbon credits too so like stuff in like yeah that's ocean. over my head yeah. no, no idea no, no, i do no, know no. that i think there's like I don't know if they're, I don't know exactly what the program is called, but it's along those lines where it's, you know, this particular industry or whatever can only emit like so many pounds or tons. It's like tons, whatever of carbon every year, but they can like buy the emissions rights off of like a smaller industry. So that like as a nation, we're still only emitting this much carbon every year. Yes. But obviously it's like disproportionately in some areas versus another. Yeah. So you could be like an industry. So there's people that manage lands for mm-hmm. just that. Be like, hey, we're, we're going to manage it because there's there's really specific. And there's like um, for wetlands, too. So mm-hmm. um, if a wetland gets destroyed, as I think I know it, again, I'm still learning this process myself, but it's like um, we're going to fill in this wetland here for this development. We have to make a wetland somewhere else. Right. So it's like, yeah, I've heard of that. I, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure how I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that personally. And that's yeah. like we can like we'll definitely make a podcast about this one day okay and like yeah, policies and stuff so. so heated about this it's not heated it's just like <laughs> it's it's weird I don't it's know. interesting and I, yeah. i'm learning it now firsthand and um again to be if anybody's going to buy a plot of land um <laughs> just just figure like um do your homework really really do your homework if you're if you're gonna buy Let's let's tie this into water related stuff. We talked about wetlands, but then also like if you're going to do um, construction, for example, by a lake or a river. Um, first off, with a river, like is it in a flood zone? You have to you have to get like mm-hmm. a flood insurance. Like you have to have flood insurance, and it's like mm-hmm. basically like the again I shouldn't say basically as I'm learning it. There's like a map that like the government runs if you're in this area, like a flood zone area. Like yeah, you have to purchase. Um, flood insurance which is from i think from the federal government sounds right because right, i at least yeah. as far as i know from like if you're if you're from the jersey shore i think it's like the state gives you that flood insurance because yeah. you have to have it yeah don't you love talking about stuff that we really don't know about um if we are totally <laughs> off base i don't want to give disinformation like really so if anybody <laughs> knows um we said something wrong specifically please please let us know um, yeah like, we're happy we to backtrack in like yeah. months and months later and be like oh remember when we talked about that riley yeah, yeah we were yeah, way yeah. off we'll have some uh i think some podcast called like corrections corner oh, okay <laughs> so yeah yeah we'll have a <laughs> we'll have a, a time set aside that we can uh um we can we can correct ourselves but again um so interesting <laughs> that's me like i'm gonna cut it off there what about you man um i mean nothing real crazy um rachel and i kind of stuck close to home um this uh this week i mean i guess i went to i went to our department tailgate for the football game um so that was it was fun hanging out with hanging out with the crew and the, yep. all the folks in the lab and you know seeing all the new people interact with uh with everyone and trying to get them like you know i guess like ingrained in the culture and stuff and they're kind yeah. of straight from undergrad so getting Hope them right eye yeah exactly then, uh, <laughs> they still have the hope them. in their eyes like i broke you that first year <laughs> in grad school uh, i was shut I come my door in, one day i was like i have to do work and you're like i come hey, in every buddy. day like hey riley what are we gonna do today and you're like just go just go do this today i don't yeah. i can't i'm not today with you <laughs> i think i gave you a month of training for that one thing i was required to like have you know i was like well see you later <laughs> well the best part was and it's not like i don't mean this in like an annoying way it was just like the way that it happened is you showed me how to do everything and then like a week later we sampled and you just didn't do you like just didn't do it and i was like well i guess i'll do it since i don't have anything else to do looking back on it i was like oh yeah there should have been a conversation but on the flip side that's kind of how i had to do it i mean um, it's figured it out right sorry we're still friends (laughs) 
I just thought like looking back, it's really funny. Like in the moment I was like, Oh yeah, like I'll take I'll take the initiative. I'm just yep. this is all me now. This is all on me. Like, this is your job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody, grad school can be fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone's yeah. gonna have their own stories to tell for sure. Oh, but that's nice. I had new people making uh friends. I know I kept Yeah. Some of the tailgates that I went to, yeah, there was for sure one individual, an older individual who was like on the same path as me, right? So it's mm-hmm. like that uh camaraderie outside of well grad school is weird because it's still school so, but it's mm-hmm. like a job so it's you're working well at least in our field you're working a full 40 if not more um mm-hmm. so it's not school everyone okay but it's um it's it's a little bit of both and yeah so yeah remember... you're this like the best way i can explain it is you're this weird in between where you are a student but you're also an employee like yeah. you know you get paid like so spoiler alert in case you didn't know um if you go to grad school in the hard sciences uh, they pay you to go to grad school instead of you paying them so there's should they should should. that's a great point do not go to a graduate program that you have to pay for unless it's like business or something of course um but if you're in the hard sciences they should be paying you unless you're making um buku dollars (laughs) um they usually will give you a stipend in the yeah Mm -hmm. If you have a PhD, basically, um, yeah, maybe there's PhD engineers that would probably be in a higher echelon of a uh, salary, but uh, do what you love. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, it's not all about money, but there's That's a true. balance, balance yeah. and everything, nuance. Know um, your worth at the end of the day. This is a weird banter. How are we getting here? We we really covered the gamut, didn't we? No, but... talk about permitting. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, uh, tailgate. That was uh penn state right yeah i don't want to talk about it as an auburn fan that was rough tailgate was a lot of fun the game itself not a lot of fun i'm really glad i did not spend like 150 dollars for a ticket yeah yeah i'm really glad uh, i feel i'm really happy about that decision i worked that second (laughs) job that my wife and i've been working and uh (laughs) i had an auburn shirt on and someone's like is that an Auburn shirt? And I was like, yes, it is. And they're like, far from home. I was like, man. <laughs> I think I checked my phone and they were losing. It was like in the middle of the game. So I was like, I'll just, I'm not a yeah. sports person. Anyway. I can't just change really, your yeah. shirt. It's fine. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> my favorite is in case if anyone's watching online, I'm wearing an Auburn soccer shirt. Um, and whenever I go out in public, even today, I was out at Lowe's just trying to grab some stuff. And there was an older couple and they were both de- head to toe, like, Alabama hat, Alabama, like red shirt and like red, red and white shoes. And they like mumbled something to me. And I was, I'm not the kind of guy that's like, oh, what'd you say? Like, uh, more Eagle, man. Like, I just, <laughs> I just smile and nod. Gonna, I'm like, I don't, yeah. I'm just going to cost an old couple. <laughs> I don't have any skin in the game, man. They just pay my yeah. paychecks at the end of the day, you know? I remember in Auburn, Auburn has a Walmart, obviously. And um, I was in there once. And uh, some guy came up to me. I had an Auburn shirt on. And he's like, War Eagle, man. And that's the phrase, like, they say at Auburn. Like, um, roll tide. Is like, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, um, yeah, it's like sure equivalent. Other, yeah, equivalents. And, uh, Hotty toddy. Yeah. yeah Giga Maggies. Like yeah. And, um, suey pig, whatever. I was like, dude, we are, we're in Auburn. Like, the, the coach is, like, cardboard outline is, is right above us. I'm like, it's not like this is a – it's not like we're in a different country, like we're in Canada. And then he's like, is that an Auburn shirt? It's like, we are in the city in football season. People are going to have it. Yeah. So what are the odds? I know. He was so happy. He's like, War Eagle. I was like, like there's a whole section in like the, the clothing department, just full of Auburn gear. Like go to town. You'll see it. I know exactly what you're talking about, too. The cardboard cutout of the football coach. Do you know exactly? Like, in the freezer exactly. section, right? Like, above yeah. it? Yeah. Obviously, they changed it for the new coach, but yeah. With this dumb visor, or that one guy. Yeah, he always had a visor on. <laughs> for everybody on oh, um, just listening, Matt is uh, having a good chuckle. So Yeah, good. sorry. Broke just, that, that really got me. <laughs> no, no. Hi, everybody. We're back. Uh, I am Riley Bewley. We didn't do this um, yet in this episode. I am one of the co-hosts here, and the, my other co-host is Matt Gladfelter. Yep. And how we do this podcast, we'll probably not mention this too many more times since we're we have a number of episodes now. So look at our backlog. Um, but we'll we'll switch off, and either Matt and I will go and lead discussion of a certain topic that we looked at for the week and wrote an article on, which you can find at Fishwater and Travel. 
um, that related article will be talked about here. So you'll kind of get it both um, visually as well as audibly. And yeah, with that, I'm going to let Matt take it away. Thanks, Riley. So as I said in the beginning of this podcast here, we're going to be talking about the global dam dilemma. And that probably that could mean a couple of different things to a couple of different people. Uh, but to me, the kind of dam dilemma talks about, well, we already have a ton of dams already up. So we're getting to the point now where a lot of developed countries are starting to tear down a lot of dams. The U.S., Canada and Europe are leading the way as far as tearing down old dams. And you have countries like a lot of developing countries, China, India, South America, I think parts of Africa as well, are starting to build a lot more dams. So the question is, if you already have these dams constructed, what are the pros and cons of keeping them there versus tearing them down? If you tear them down, will the ecosystem actually heal itself or will it just kind of stay put and nothing really return to the area? So over the course of this podcast, I'm going to be summarizing pretty much everything you need to know about dams and then we'll go ahead and lead into some good examples of the pros of dams the cons of dams um, some good examples as far as kind of current success success stories and some current maybe um, things to think about at least so hopefully we don't sway you one way or another Uh, we can just kind of present the facts and hopefully just open your eyes a little bit and and let you think about um, kind of where you stand on this Um, But as far as kind of leading right into this, dams themselves um, have been around for, depending on who you ask, about 4,000 years, anywhere from four to 5,000 years. Uh, The first dam was unsuccessful, but it was built in early Egypt. Um, It was just kind of thrown together with clay and mud, and it quickly eroded thereafter. They weren't really perfected until the Romans came along. Um, And then once the Romans came along, and I think it was about 100 um, A.D., so or CE, depending on how you uh, like that phrased. Um, and then right kind of after the Romans started to take over, dams just started to spread all over the world, or I guess over Europe, and then eventually they made their way over to the Americas. Um, so that's kind of a really quick and dirty explanation of like the history of dams. Um, and... Those Romans, man. Those Romans knew. <laughs> uh, how do they do get... it? We could get into another sidebar here, but I don't know yeah. if you know anything about Roman concrete. Have you heard about Roman concrete? <laughs> no. Okay. So maybe some engineering folks can tell us more about it. But Roman concrete, there was like a special formula they had that made like the strongest concrete. And it just, if you go to Rome, there's still structures made out of Roman concrete. And it's, we can't figure out how to replicate it, but it is like really? the strongest concrete ever made. I've never heard of this. Yeah, really? look it up, man. It's you can you can go down into a rabbit uh, hole with Roman concrete. Yeah, I might be going to Rome in a couple months oh, for a honeymoon, so you're going to see a lot of Roman concrete. Yeah, so when we're talking about the basics of dams and the basic different structures of dams, um, again, somebody else can probably explain this a lot better than I can. Uh, but the three basic dam structures that I kind of pointed out, at least that I could find in my in my research, was a gravity dam a buttress dam and an arch dam. And the main kind of differences between them are how much material they use and the way that they are engineered to force the water from, you know, just kind of the force is canceling out the weight of the water essentially. So a gravity dam typically uses this kind of concrete construction, has this interior surface that is slightly curved. Um, They will typically use flexible seals between the blocks and there is a large slope to that exterior surface. So you're essentially just using the weight of the dam to hold back all of that water with that slight curvature. Does that make sense? I've never thought about that. Like, yeah. Like how dams actually hold out the weight. Mm -hmm. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what you have to do. Yeah. You have to hold (laughs) back as basic engineering. Makes sense to me. Someone's (laughs) like, duh. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's all. I mean, I don't know a lot about engineering, obviously, but a lot of engineering is just moving forces different ways or canceling them out directly. Right. Um, And we'll get to that in a second here. So the other type of dam, so the gravity dams, you typically don't want to use them for large structures because they use a ton of material because you're essentially just kind of making this big structure that's just going to stand in the way of the water more or less. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're using a larger structure, uh, well, you can you can use buttresses and a buttress dam, which has a similar construction to a gravity dam, uses a lot less material. So it also has that kind of inward curving of that um, 
of that interior surface, but it uses these, what's the best way? Almost like, they almost look like ramps kind of leaning up against the dam. So you're also using the weight of those ramps pushing inward on the dam. Does that make sense? It does. <laughs> Riley's it looking... Well, it's like, I just face. have never thought about this. I'm like, it's a damn, like, <laughs> interesting. I'll so, try yeah, to incorporate, so... I'll, I'll make some figures. I found some great figures online, but I'll try okay. to make some of my own as well to kind of show you how these forces are working to kind of cancel each other out and kind of move them elsewhere. So the, um, the shape, there's a reason. The shape, yes, it's, absolutely. It's there's a, a reason. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Um, yeah, so the dam itself, so not only, so the kind of, big way that these dams are also working is if they're not trying to cancel out the force directly. So imagine the water is trying to move horizontally, right? Like out, it's just trying to move downstream. Mm -hmm. You can work by just trying to meet it with an equal and opposite horizontal force, right? And they will just cancel it out. What you could also do is try to force it to, uh, depending on the engineering and like the curvature, right? And depending on these buttresses, you can meet that force head on, but also try to guide it downwards and force the weight and the kind of forces acting on the dam down into the foundation where more of the weight is. So that reduces the stress on the top. That reduces the stress what? on the top of the dam. Yes. What? The simplest, yeah. also, this is the last type of dam is an arch dam, which is the simplest when you look at it, but also probably the scariest where you look at it. So I believe a good example is the Hoover Dam. Huge dam. If you take a cross section of it, it's very thin for the amount of water it's holding back. And it works super simply where it's kind of just like an arch you see on a bridge where you have that keystone at the top, right? So mm -hmm. all the weight is at that keystone and the keystone just distributes the weight around that arch and down into the columns into the ground. An arch huh. dam works the same way where it's taking all of the weight and instead of moving it, like meeting it head on, it's moving all the weight around the edge of the dam and into the walls of the canyon that it's kind of supporting against. <laughs> I, I just never, I've never thought about this before. Yeah. I'm interesting. Yeah. I'm not an engineer by any stretch of the imagination, but reading about this, like I loved it. This is so cool. When you can, when you understand yeah. how forces in the world works like this, oh, it's, not, just, it's magic. Not to get on a tangent, um, but, but like, here's a tangent, but here's like, I always wondered, <laughs> I don't have the answer to this, by the way. Maybe you mm -hmm. do. Um, it's like, how do they... So you have a river, right? Mm -hmm. Think of... Um, is it the Colorado River that has the Hoover Dam on? It's a I big should river. Know the, I should right? know the answer to that question, but I don't. So my, my point is more so just big rivers. Like, to to construct on a river, right? So mm -hmm. do they just have to divert it, like, a, upstream to start with that construction? Like, how do they... If how, I did how? my proper research, I could probably tell you that answer. Oh. Um, I did not think about doing enough research to figure out how to actually build a dam because I no, no, think yeah. this is long enough as it is. Um, Someone write in, please. Like, yeah. How do they? How do they start? Like so. Yeah. I guess it depends on the funding for the project. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as simple as it sounds, but also be super expensive. Yeah, you could just divert the river, right? Just move it around the structure. But yeah. that also might not be feasible in a place like a canyon, right? You're gonna blow out a whole wall of the canyon just to move the water around it. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. it's not really gonna. Or maybe work. there's like like a they'll start on one half and then like divert it a small diversion around like one half and like with booms and stuff. I don't know. It, yeah, it, it, I'm. Okay, I'm stopping. I'll with go that. ahead and write myself a note, and then mm -hmm. the next podcast I will. I'll do a lead in telling you all about how you can build dams, Riley. Just it's for okay. You. This isn't an engineering podcast, so go find one. Cause <laughs> so those are the three basic kind of dam structures that you can kind of group them into is yeah. a gravity dam, buttress dam, arch dam. And it's just kind of describing how they're constructed and the kind of forces acting on the water that's actually holding them back. Um, very simply too, is kind of what happens. Obviously you're building a dam to hold a certain amount of water. Um, once that water reaches a certain height it's going to spill over the dam so what are you doing with that water uh, depending on how the dam's used if it's just for recreation or for drinking water you can have a simple spillway system so depending on the dam you know it's just kind of like a concrete slide essentially right where the water's just moving downstream so, right so there's almost almost a constant flow depending on the time of year um, if you're out west it is very intermittent of course depending on the season um but if you're getting into hydropower, 
um, drinking water or um, sorry, hydropower or irrigation, you're going to have some sort of pumping system, right? So if it's, um, if it's hydropower, you're going to have some sort of box system or pipe or tunnel at the base of the dam. So you're getting the weight of the water, pushing all that water down through the turbine. That's how you're generating all your power. Uh, for irrigation, you're going to have some kind of pump system that's actually moving that water away to where it needs to go. Um, I could probably get into more of the nitty gritty, but I think everyone kind of under, I think this makes sense to a lot of people, how you're moving this water around, depending on what you need it to do. Um, and as far as so that's talking about, you know, the basics of dams. So what I want to try to get into is actually why you'd want to build a dam, of course. Um, so according to the association of dam safety, they kind of, their main reasons for building a dam are flood control human water supply, irrigation, livestock water supply, energy generation, containment of mine tailings, recreation, or pollution control. Never thought about pollution control, um, but I guess that yes. kind of goes into mine tailings too, right? Um, and then real quick, before we start getting into the ways that dams are used, of course, and we can kind of start getting into the pros and cons of dams, um, dams are regulated at the state level. Except for one state. Um, if you had to guess which state that was, Riley, guess which state doesn't have a state regulation for dams? Hawaii? <laughs> oh, Alabama? It's Alabama. I, I, I thought that was low-hanging fruit, so I decided to go somewhere. <laughs> the low-hanging fruit is staring you right in the face here, man. Uh, right here. Funny. Alabama is the only state that does not have state regulations for dam safety, um, which just, is interesting. Um, any like regulation at all. It's yeah, it's all at the federal yeah. level. So the feds yeah. carry out everything. Um, and as you may uh, imagine, this regulation includes things like inspections, reviews, safety evaluations. Um, if you want to learn more about this, the Association of Dance Safety um, talks all about it and gets into all the policy and the different things like the life expectancies of dams and why some dams are past their life expectancy and that's like a whole nother thing you can get into. So feel free to, you to really went down this rabbit hole, didn't you? Oh, dude, I got, I, I got into it. I'm yeah, yeah, it's great. Just wait. I'm okay. going to start throwing some numbers at you here in a minute. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So again, association of dam safety, feel free to check out their website. They're a great resource. So when we actually start getting into why we're building dams, what the pros are, right? So this is going to be talking about how great dams are in this section here. So of course, dams are crucial to daily life, global infrastructure, um, if you want to get into lock and dam systems, uh, that opens up transoceanic commerce, right? Panama Canal, the Suez Canal. And when I started looking into the Panama and Suez Canal, there's another, I think it was 10 to 15 other lock and dam systems that are proposed around the world. I think one's in Honduras, one's in Mexico. There's one somewhere else in Saudi Arabia, somewhere proposed in, I think, Thailand, where they're, I, mean, I think, obviously, there's pros to not having to go all the way around the continental system right yeah and yeah, i'm yeah. sure and i'm sure you're paying some sort of tax some sort of fee to go through the lock and dam system so that could be a huge source of revenue for these um for these countries yeah um, mississippi has a bunch of them right yeah. yeah oh yeah if you go through or even um along the st lawrence river right to get through the great lakes yeah and they can mm -hmm. um there you can you can go from mississippi to great lakes there's connections through a oh. way of chicago oh that's right because yeah. you you worked on that a little bit didn't you with your For my master's yeah, yeah your invasive species control um, yeah yeah so it's um all connected yeah yeah, yeah yeah that's so yeah exactly talking about connecting entire continents and just so obviously talking about transoceanic movement i mean the panama canal it's used i should have looked up how many uh, ships it sees but it's it's insane and just the amount of time and money and energy it's saving unreal uh, yeah. but on a smaller scale if you want to just talk about uh hydropower dams of course they provide clean renewable energy in america alone they satisfy about 10 percent of america's power demand uh, which may not sound like a lot but if you converted that to the amount of coal oil and or natural gas that it's saving so combined it's saving 121 million tons of coal 27 million barrels of oil and 741 billion cubic feet of natural gas according per, to asdsr per year. per year wow yeah 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 
And just there's gonna be another number. It's gonna I'm gonna oh, blow your mind here in a I second love, too. I love number Matt. Yeah, this you know is what I'm Matt this has is great. different mats depending on the day. <laughs> and uh, I like when you go down rabbit rabbit hole Matt. Well, I Matt. think I think numbers are powerful, right? Because when you're talking yeah. about tent like hydropower dams, me. 10% of America's power demand, you're like, well, 10% is not that big. But when you break it down into how many tons of coal, barrels of oil, cubic feet of natural gas combined. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's no, pretty no, sober. I, I totally agree. The The human dimensions aspect on all this is uh, should not be lost upon um, topics like this. Cause, yep. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, if you want to talk about flood control, right? So we talked about flood control, storm surges. Uh, a great paper. I forgot to cite them here, but I promise I'll go back to cite them. It will be in the article. Um, they tried to kind of, you know, look at the the how much money they're saving. These dams are saving in flood control costs, right? It's about two billion dollars annually just in the U.S. in flood control mm-hmm. and storm surge damage. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then last little bit here. Uh, actually, no. There's plenty more. I don't know why I said that. Um, nearly 10% of the nation's cropland rely on water from irrigation dams. Dang. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember going to, um, in new, uh, excuse me, in New Orleans, um, a little bit outside. Then there was that, uh, the spillway, but Bonnet also spillway. dam. Yeah. Bonacary mm-hmm. spillway, which is mm-hmm. again, um, <laughs> engineers, I'm sure there's differences, but I mean, it's a, it's a dam system, right? It's a impeding mm-hmm. waterway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just, just that, like, area is so powerful that it's like once a, a storm happens like yeah it's like we, we you can you can impede water but only to a point i yeah. guess but like it's still a powerful how much how much water it can like divert that one facility or area i guess not mm-hmm. a facility yeah but you know what i'm saying <laughs> oh yeah i know exactly yeah, what you're yeah. saying and i didn't have the bonnet carry on here so we can talk about it here for a second um mm-hmm. but if you're talking about so obviously the, so the bonnet carry spillway is at the mouth of the mississippi river so if you yep. think about how big the mississippi watershed is every drop of water that falls in that watershed ev- eventually goes out of that bonnet carry spillway yeah. and people talk about so especially down here in the southeast a big issue that the army corps is trying to work on i know mississippi state university of mississippi auburn alabama all these universities and state agencies in this area are trying to work on is all the fresh water that gets out of the bonnet carry spillway during storm surges and it's not even storm surges in louisiana it can be foul or not thousands hundreds of miles upstream right yeah and then yep. all the problems that that's causing is it's lowering the salinity you're getting oyster kills fish kills you're getting all that and they're trying oh, no. to find a way to manage a bonnet carry, but at a certain point, you need to think about the management upstream because mm-hmm. obviously each reservoir can only hold so much water. And yep. if you're talking about, so say there's a huge storm at the very, the northernmost tip of the Mississippi River. So they're going to open their spillway. All of that water is going to go downstream. They're going to open their spillway. And it's just that chain reaction where it's like the bonnet carry is just, it's not, you know, it's just probably, you could argue it's too small, but it's like, I mean, that was probably yeah. one of the first the first dams there because New Orleans was already below sea level. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, being on the north end of the Mississippi too, like come flood season, I definitely mm-hmm. you see like a ice break up there and you're like, all that's going downstream. Like, mm-hmm. crazy. Especially, yeah, with the Mississippi watershed, a lot of it will be, especially in the spring, that, that snow melt, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like all this just, water just sitting there and then mm-hmm. come springtime it's like whoosh and yeah there's a like at some point like that water has to go somewhere and it, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it could be new orleans or just the state of mississippi as a whole is that like um yeah that end point so crazy yeah yes. um i'm only kind of on the periphery of it just because you know going to conferences down this area and mm-hmm. someone's always doing work with talking about the salinity how it's always decreasing in that 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 bay area um but yeah the oysters mm-hmm. oh yeah those. obviously it's it's a huge industry and yeah. even that western that kind of very western tip of alabama gets hit a little bit sometimes with that low salinity yeah. um and then i mean you could get into two if there's nah we don't have to get into that just you know that fresh water carrying anything from like toxic algae and that's going to float on that because it's less dense but we don't have to get into all that um yeah, yeah that's like a whole nother whole nother rabbit hole we can jump down another day 
Uh, But if we want to get back to dams, Riley, and global dams, so we talked about dams on the U.S. level. I want to really blow your mind with some of these numbers on the more global scale. So if you want to jump around a little bit, um, Latin America is a great example of hydropower. Almost 70% of power generated in Latin America as a whole is hydroelectric. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Latin America as a whole. So as a whole. That's 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 a lot. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. Wow, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's according to the International Um Energy Agency. And the rest of the numbers I'm gonna throw out here are all from are all from them. Um okay. so according to them, so IEA, International Energy Agency, global annual hydropower generation has reached four thousand four hundred eighteen terawatt hours per year. That number probably doesn't mean anything to anybody, uh, but this is roughly equivalent to 2.5 trillion barrels of oil that were not consumed for power generation per year. Huh. Okay. Yeah. That's big. Yeah. I wonder, like, that's like equal to what is used per year, or you know. Let me do a quick Google search. Oh God. So, according to World Oil Statistics, um, the average amount, so the average number of barrels of oil consumed per year is 35 trillion this is about 10 percent wow of the world's um oil that is not consumed every year which is again not a small number right three Mm -hmm. uh um or sorry 2.5 trillion barrels of oil that were not consumed every year Mm -hmm. um again probably no huge uh surprise to anybody but the largest contributor to hydropower has been china so they currently make up 25 28 percent of the global hydropower generation um, and again, the future hotspots for dam construction include developing countries like Brazil, India, and China, while countries like the U.S., Canada, and much of Europe are in the process of removing dams. And we'll get into this as far as removing dams, why you'd want to remove dams. So we talked about how great dams are. Um, so they're saving a lot of energy, right, and a lot of clean energy. If you want to talk about, I mean, granted, like I said, I'm not an energy specialist, but yeah, you're talking about America trying to move to more electric and depending on how that electric's generated, it's not necessarily any cleaner than burning oil, right? Whether it's like natural gas turbine or a coal plant, you know, you're still burning fossil fuels. But if you're talking about just hydropower, that's almost as clean as it can get. Um, you can talk about wind power as well. Um, but the amount of energy that hydropower saving is, is, is immense, at least right now. And it's only going to go up every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, a bunch of huge pros when it comes to dams. We have to talk about the cons, and they're probably um, pretty obvious to a lot of people. Um, so dams obviously block the downstream movement of fish. They also block the downstream and upstream movement of nutrients. Uh, they drastically impact the flow of downstream rivers, sometimes restricting them um, entirely. And then if you want to talk about that, that gets in... That, that can lead right into water wars, right? There's entire countries that are cut off from water supplies. Mm-hmm. If you want to see a fun little case study, I should have, I'll find it for you guys later in the next podcast, I promise. There is a dam, there's a dam and river system in the southwestern U.S. So if you follow the dam's natural movement, it's supposed to flow straight into Mexico. But the U.S., I think it's called like the Independence River. They rerouted the river to flow like a couple miles due west along the US Mexico border. They had a couple dams put up and then it flows into Mexico. Huh. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's not some sketchy stuff. Yeah. And then um I believe I mean there's Africa is going through water wars right now. Um I know Egypt and their and their neighbors are trying to sort out like the flow of the Nile and and all and and similar rivers. Um, so yeah, if you want to talk about like, you know, who owns the water and as far as restricting flow, it's not just keeping the water here, but it's also how much water is getting downstream, whether it's for people or also species, right. That actually require some species require the water temperature to be a certain, um, a certain value to reproduce or a certain depth. And if the water isn't at a certain height, um, it could be really shallow and then you're nothing can live there because the water temperature is just always high because it's just getting baked by the sun all the time. Um, so obviously there's, there's all sorts of issues there. And then beyond that, most large dams, their discharges are near the bottom of the structure. So when a dam does release any water, it can be very, very cold and also highly turbid. So 
you're releasing not only a ton of water at once, but it's cold and cloudy water. So you're shocking fish, you're burying um, all sorts of invertebrates and mollusks and bivalves and things like that. Um, and something that is very interesting to me, and I'm sure you'll think, maybe you'll think this interesting, Riley. I don't know if you thought about this as much, but methane generation from dams. That it can be generated? Yeah, it's pretty. So according to a 2013 study, um, from a yeah, group out of I Europe, guess. dams generate a significant amount of methane, which of course is a potent greenhouse gas. If you're not um, familiar, I believe methane is four to, or no, it's not four. I think it's 20, 20 times more potent than CO2 um, as right. a result of the buried organic material. So for those, I'll, I'll try to give a quick kind of rundown of methane generations and decomposition. So decomposition is just the breaking down of organic material, right? And to break down that organic material, these microbes need to consume something. So the obvious thing they're going to consume is oxygen. So when all the oxygen's gone, there's kind of a tier list to what these microbes are going to use as we're going to call a fuel source. The more technical term is that that terminal electron acceptor, but we're just going to say fuel source for all intents and purposes. So when all the oxygen's gone, the microbes are going to switch to nitrogen. So they're going to go from emitting CO2 to, I believe, NO2 or some sort of NOx compound, or N2. Sorry, it might just be N2. Um, and then when all the nitrogen's gone, they're going to switch to iron or sulfur. Okay. Then okay. when all that's gone, then they're going to switch to carbon. Once they switch to carbon as a fuel source, they're giving off methane. Okay. So that's the problem we're running into with these dams, is when you're flooding an entire va river valley, think of all that buried organic material. And also mm -hmm. think about how long it's there for. Yeah. Not to so mention everything plenty, downstream. There's too. plenty of time for all of that meth for all of that organic matter to be decomposed and for that eventually to be converted into methane. So they're definitely getting rid of all the oxygen. They're getting rid of all the nitrogen. They're getting rid of all the sulfur and iron. And now they're all they have is left to use is carbon and they're emitting all that methane. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if it could be used. Captured. Like uh, some of the yeah. So and stuff. one way that they measure there's a couple different ways that you can measure methane in the water column, and one way is you essentially have this kind of big floating tent. So yep. you're just trying you're just measuring how much is kind of bubbling out, and it's not gonna be yeah. actual bubbles. It's like little micro bubbles, right? It's just how much is just given off passively. The other way is you're actually you just send little bottles down, kind of like a horizontal tube sampler, right? So it's open. You're yep. gonna bring it all the way down, then you send a little messenger it's called a messenger yeah yep. which is like a heavy weight that then clamps the bottle closed and you can bring it up so then you just measure how much is dissolved in the water interesting yeah yeah cool yeah i didn't mm -hmm. i didn't uh didn't think about that yeah that's if anyone is looking for a um phd i would not recommend this for your masters a phd um topic methane um, emissions from from lakes and dams it's something that's very understudied but the reasons it's very hard to measure methane in lakes so Make sure you're joining the right yeah. lab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so we we're talking about obviously the pros and cons uh, when a dam has kind of reached its its usefulness, and usually they're removed for safety concerns. Um, in the U.S. alone, it's, there's this isn't a new concept as far as removing dams. We've been removing dams since around 1912, and as of 21, the U.S. has removed about 1,950 dams since 1912, and again those are mostly due to structural or safety concerns. It wasn't until 1999 in Augusta, Maine, that the first dam was removed because the federal government deemed that the public benefited more from a natural flowing system um, compared to the actual dam that was sitting there. And yeah, I think this just kind of only opens the door for a greater debate around dams, their removal and the pros and cons, right? So we'll kind of get right into yeah. there. But what do you think of that, Riley, as far as, like, I guess, does it seem like they took too long? Does it seem around the right amount of time? Like 1999? I would have thought it had been a little sooner. We are talking about the, the Clean Water Act in the 1970s. Yeah, I don't... That's interesting. But Time, I guess... Well, Timeline-wise... Yeah, the article yeah. I read didn't give a lot of specifics as to, like, the criteria the federal government used as far as like the pro like the the advantages or the pros that the general public was getting from that natural flowing system as opposed to the dam that was sitting there 
Um, yeah, yeah, I. It could have just been I'm as simple as upkeep, where it yeah. was just easier. It was just cheaper to get rid of it than to um, overhaul it, kind of thing. Because that's gonna um, continue to have to happen. Because like mm-hmm. with oh, these 100%. aging infrastructures, right? So like yeah. at some time they're gonna have to go or be replaced, I guess. But um. Yeah. I knew it was somewhere. The that one was in Maine, I think. Mm-hmm. Augusta, um, Maine. Yep. Right, because it was. I knew it was in somewhere in the northeast, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, right. I mean, I don't know. If, I'm sure we'll get into it. Yeah, right. It's yeah. Pros and cons, too, right? <laughs> so it's like, um, that's interesting. Putting mm-hmm. yeah dams up willy nilly obviously isn't um beneficial to yeah. like environments, but on the flip side, you got to balance it out with um human dimensions too, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm uh, getting ahead, right? So, no, I mean. Uh, you're yeah. kind of you're kind of segueing great uh, pretty well into okay. this. Um, yeah. So if you want to talk about the pros and cons of dams, I just kind of have two little case studies, and then we can go ahead and just kind of put our final thoughts and whatever we want to talk about after that. Okay. So the first I want to talk about is a paper that I'm sure you've read before, um, given where the field that we both are a part of. Um, it was a paper published in 2015 in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences by Taylor Mavara. Mavara, I always yeah, got the name Mavara right. at all. I always called it Minerva. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so bad with names. The article is titled Global Phosphorus Retention by River Damming. And the kind of, so for those of you who aren't familiar, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, that is a huge, it's one of the top echelon journals you can get into. That's like a career defining publication if you can get into PNAS. Um, so this is no small kind of fee, no little rinky dinky paper. Um, and the reason that this paper was so kind of influential when it came out is that uh, Mavara and all, so they were actually able to put a number in the m- amount of phosphorus that dams were kind of holding back every year. So they said that about 12% of the global river phosphorus load was being retained by dams and reservoirs. So not just kind of within dams, but actually retained and essentially being trapped at the bottom of dams, Right. So when you're talking about the pros, uh, like the cons of dams and that they're not letting nutrients downstream in the kind of modern culture of eutrophication and just dumping more and more nutrients in the systems and you're getting the increase of harmful algal blooms, right? Maybe reservoirs aren't the worst thing if you're talking about holding on and, and actually burying some of these nutrients that can encourage eutrophication. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously case by case. Right. Um, yeah, but so, yeah. So, I mean, as far as dance, so again, there's the pros and cons, right? So when you're talking about all these nutrients being held back, uh, you could think of that as a plus. And if you're thinking about tearing down a dam, you're thinking about then all of that phosphorus and all those nutrients that are then flowing downstream. And a lot of river systems don't just have one dam on them. So if you get rid of one dam, you're just moving all those nutrients down to the next dam. And maybe that dam will then become eutrophied, right? Dude, (laughs) literally this week, I got a phone call um, asking about this. Really? Um, Which I am not a professional. It was more so like uh, just a hypothetical type of question. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a group from in Iowa um, that I was used to be in contact with and yeah it was it was like hey we have this um i wouldn't even call it a dam an impoundment how about we'll call it an impoundment it's like what what happens if we remove it Mm -hmm. and in those situations it's um in in that area i should say very very agrarian and um lots of sedimentation there was one um lake that that some, some reservoirs in in iowa were made for that impoundment of settlement, for example, or like dropping out nutrients. So it's doing its job. But this one impoundment got um, the the size of the Empire State Building in in sediment every year dumped wow. into it. Wow! And it was like uh, there, there was a group that was um, not the group I was talking to, but a group like um, they're they're trying to like rectify the issue because people um, it's so two with with lock dams reservoirs impoundments is uh it can be a really big recreational area mm-hmm. right so this is a big recreational area a lot of um high valued homes people like going and doing water sports and some people um <laughs> the one time i went to the, like one of their presentations was talking about like people are wakeboarding or like 
jet or skiing like uh on the back of a boat in mm-hmm. a foot and a half of water they don't know it oh. because of the sediment right like because oh. yeah there's so like the dam's just the reservoir's just filled in that much they're filling in and it's it's doing its job like that's what it was supposed to do but um the, the, there's a blend of like well where does it become a human health concern by like uh yeah mm. yeah so okay anyways till so I, I was asked about um releasing of nutrients it's like is it we they the individuals want to get rid of it um that empowerment but should they like um for for those who don't know a lot of the midwest pe- states are grappling with um for example in the, the gulf we talked about the mississippi river basin that flows all into the gulf and like a lot mm-hmm. of the hypoxia or low oxygen situations are coming from nutrients and sediment from the upper midwest like mm-hmm. it's and a lot of um the midwestern states have this like nutrient reduction strategies oh. that right so and like um it's like how do we prevent nutrients from going from our state downstream and um so there was that blend too it was like you know it is it good to remove an impoundment in this state mm-hmm. or area because of like yeah you have to throw that into effect and uh super weird right i was like i don't I know, know. it's like, one uh, of those things where it's yeah. like your brain wants to tell you like yeah man just get rid of the dam everything will be good but then you're like ah shoot yeah. like then everything that's in that dam is just gonna be yeah. washed down downstream one um thing we were talking about in iowa too when i was working there um and that um southern minnesota too where this question came up was like uh so okay you have a field for example agri- agricultural row crop field mm-hmm. and then like you have the how, how do you prevent nutrients sediment from running off that say you have a big rain event there's runoff coming like how do you prevent it? A lot of people like put put buffer strips, so you know that that uh, um, it could be grass or um, oh, like a like a a riparian zone kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, riparian zone, and yeah, it's like yeah, that that's great to do, and that'll you know block that sediment from going directly into the stream. But it's like, well, a lot of these um, fields have what's known as tile lines, so to prevent, um, there's a lot of things that tile lines do, mm-hmm. um, but one of them is to manage um you don't want your like soils to be like super saturated so like at some mm-hmm. point the tie lines it, it's a drain it's a drain in the oh, middle of your okay. field and it's going straight into the ditch okay um, so like a lot of these there's ditch systems that'll connect to creeks for example in the midwest in like farm areas and like yeah so if there's a heavy rain you could have all the buffer strips you want but uh, if you have a drain in the middle of your field like that that's gonna um, bypass those and then mm-hmm. so like the question is like how do we prevent that slurry for lack of a better word of like runoff from mm-hmm. going like straight into streams and some things that they're talking about is like impounding ditches right so like mm. how do how do you get sediment and therefore nutrients in some situations there can be dissolved nutrients everyone but like uh, a lot of sediment will have that bound nutrients in these situations and it's like yeah you slow the movement of water with an impoundment and you know that that way um that those that sediment will drop off and cleaner quote-unquote cleaner water will will go into your your waterway instead of um runoff but uh so in that situation yeah so when we talk about like, case by case like yeah sometimes just, yeah yeah there's there's yeah. no simple answer at the end of the day um but if you yeah. want to keep on this kind of trajectory at least in nutrients before we move on to to the the next subject here yeah um again we talked about dams doing their job right and not moving nutrients downstream but depending on where that dam is um that can collapse a fishery right so that happened in on the nile in 1964 oh, yeah. is there was a reservoir that was doing its job and not allowing you know nutrients and sediment downstream uh but a particular whole fishery relied on those nutrients because right the talk about food chains so the nutrients fuel the um phytoplankton phytoplankton fuel the zooplankton zooplankton fuel the fish and yeah because there was no phytoplankton, the whole fishery just collapsed. Huh. Um, yeah. And it's just Weird. another one of those cases where you're just like, ah, oh, shoot, man. Well, that's the whole thing with those El Nino and La Nina years. And it's depending on the current flowing from, I think it's from around New Zealand or Australia flowing all the way uh, to South America. And depending on how that current is, which way it's flowing, it's either pushing water down or it's pushing water up so it's either bringing nutrients up or moving nutrients away and that's where you're getting those boomer bust kind of fisheries years 
um, depending okay. on which way the the water current's flowing. Yeah, um, wow. <laughs> learned that too. Yeah, I'm learning. Um, but yeah, again, like that. If you want to talk about this paper, like it's just again, it's one of the situations where it's such case by case. Um, but I don't yeah. want to end on such a doom and gloom note because there yeah. is a a great example of dam removal that worked pretty well, all things considered. And it's the Elwha River Dam, which is in, I believe, Washington. It's in the north. It's in the um, American Northwest. So in night in the late nineties, uh, the federal government uh, approved the removal and uh, remediation of this removal of the dam, remediation of the site. Um, and after a bunch of red tape, it was finally finished removal in 2011. So prior to the removal, um, so prior to the actual dam actually being constructed. Uh, there was an estimated 400,000 salmon that migrated to spawn through that river system, through the Elwha River system. Um, the same year that the dam was removed, um, juvenile salmon were already seen returning to the 70 miles of river that were then opened up to the salmon. Okay. And then as of a 2022 survey, uh, 6,000 coho salmon, about 7,000 Chinook salmon, and another 2,500 steelhead trout. Um, were found were estimated to be spawning in that area and huh. they made a point to uh to kind of say several times in their report that salmon numbers are very like wild from year to year so mm. it could have just been that they caught them on a good year or if you want to be optimistic they caught them on a low year and there could be more salmon in the area that are returning on average yeah. um but talking back to sedimentation so because the water um, like you know, the water was was slowed down so much by the Elwha River Dam, there was actually like a walkable sound that was constructed, like built up on the mouth of the river, just because that's where all the water slowed down and dumped all of its sand. Yep. Um, but since the dam was removed, now it's an actual free flowing system. Um, so you now the that's I was another obvious barrier to spawning fish is if a fish was depending on the year or the flow there could have just been too much sediment to the point where a large adult salmon just actually couldn't there's not enough water for the salmon to actually get to the river mouth because there was that actual like sound that was built there about yeah. sedimentation um but i mean they did a bunch of stabilization uh metrics and they found that bank stabilization increased uh, they found that revegetation uh, was the most successful kind of aspect of their of their assessment um, it was almost immediate, and they're seeing um, most species that were there prior to the dam um, are there now, as far as vegetation is concerned. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I mean, any any closing thoughts on that, Riley? Anything you want to kind of any tangents yeah. you want to get on? I got a couple. I actually <laughs> okay. wrote some down. Yeah, so let's uh, do it. Yeah, I think I, I said a couple pros for keeping dams in, but yeah, I definitely don't want to make it sound like I am. Um pro dam i think yeah that's are. the thing is i'm hoping yeah. not i don't want anyone to walk away being like yeah we should get rid of all the dams or no we shouldn't touch a single dam i just want to be like well yeah there's some things to consider right for sure and, case by case right yeah um, that's at the end of the day that's always the answer is it's case by case yeah especially like in uh especially in the like washington and like oregon area too i remember i, I did like a road trip out to see my well then girlfriend now wife uh but uh yeah i'm past like the bonneville dam right and it's it's a sight mm. to see like one of these giant ones there's 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 giant dams in like the northwest but like yeah they um definitely impede fish passage and that can have like um community tribal like values connected to it that got um that got impeded because of these dam creations so that not necessarily thinking all the way through with some of this stuff or it's a balance of, you know, do we want electricity, for example, um, versus, you know, fish passage or, you know, maybe it wasn't known when it was put in. But, yeah, now that we know these things, right, or maybe a little more thoughtfulness, yeah, there's that idea that um, maybe not every river needs to be dammed, right? So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, especially I think in Alabama, right, um, one of the examples that was always given was like the Alabama sturgeon which which was is now extinct or was extinct because they found a sample by eDNA. Yeah, um, I think it depends on who you ask whether or yes. not it's, it's considered extinct. But yeah, they are a anadromous species, right? Or catadromous? Yes, it's one of the reasons up. why they're promoted their extinction, possible extinction. How about we'll just say that? Mm -hmm. uh, point being is that 
if I'm remembering correctly, that was dams. That was mm-hmm. so like yeah, the um that impeding or reducing river connectivity is definitely um it's going to have an effect, right? Oh, it's just 100%. a balance. It's a balance of do the you know are the the pros and cons are the pros outweighing the cons in some situations. So um yeah, difficult. Yeah, and in a funny like positive to dams so alabama is one of the most dammed um states and that has actually helped it in terms of the asian carp so if you look at a heat map of asian carp in the u.s there is a bunch of red dots except in alabama and the biggest reason is that asian carp need like a certain velocity of water to keep their eggs floated in the water column 100 miles of moving water so yeah something like that Yeah. yeah and there's just not that in alabama so if they were to get here, their eggs just, they just sink and they don't, there's not enough yes. water velocity to actually keep them up in the water column. So that's there, a huge plus. There was, um, at least for some time, a lock and dam system in Minneapolis. So mm-hmm. top of the Mississippi River, close to the top. And to prevent the spread, they shut down a lock and dam system. They're like, mm-hmm. we're just not going to use yeah. this and it's going to become a full dam in that situation to prevent mm-hmm. specifically the spread of Asian carp. Angel yeah. Falls, I think it was called specifically. Oh. And, uh, oh yeah, I mean, with my uh, master's degree, it was, yeah, like how, how can you, especially with Asian carp, like um, that river connectivity can have pros and cons too, I guess, when you talk about invasive species. Mm-hmm. That's how like through St. Lawrence, like uh like zebra mussels, sea lamprey, all those came from that way because mm-hmm. of connecting those rivers. I guess in that situation, it wasn't natural. Um, they, they, yeah, they I think that was also around the um, the Niagara Falls. But my point yeah. being is that, um, <laughs> yeah, I remember specifically like within Chicago. Yeah, it's like, can, how can we keep these systems open if we're gonna? Um, it's it's a balance of the the pros and cons in that situation. It's like this this huge Asian carp problem might be coming into the great lakes which isn't a side if they could survive in the great lakes or not because mm-hmm. of what you were just saying it would be mm-hmm. kind of in some situations but another digression it's like yeah is it is keeping this dam open um outweighing its benefit for situations and there's there's for sure everyone it's still sounding like i'm pro dam i'm not um, i'm not nothing <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm nuanced that's how it's it <laughs> but it's right. like um yeah either Either way, like yeah, if if you if if the pros or the cons are starting to outweigh the pros to have a dam, like um, maybe it's a, a thoughtful conversation of how do you how to get rid of it and how to restore that area to what it was. Yeah, R- Riley, by the way, is sponsored by Big Dam, so I know, right? <laughs> Big Hydro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, I don't like. Yeah, I mean, there's no concrete answer, and obviously, I wasn't looking for a concrete answer. I was no, just I hoping for this kind of yeah, this candid conversation. It's kind of almost like a thought experiment, right? Yeah. Um, depending on the system you have, and I think by and large, if you did want to boil it down simply, um, I don't even think you can do that. I was gonna say, oh, yeah. recreation dam shouldn't be a thing, and I'm like, that doesn't even make sense because you're gonna like collapse whole housing markets, and then there's like entire cities that are built off the fisheries and some of those recreation reservoirs. So it's not even as simple as that. Um, yeah yeah i so. know in my one position we were talking about having i'm gonna call it well it is an impoundment so mm-hmm. impounding water you could say it's a dam but yeah there was the idea that um this community that i was working with um wanted flood prevention but as mm-hmm. an added, added benefit of like maybe we can make this impoundment in such a way that um it could be benefit to mm-hmm. to fishing as well because the community was looking for it so mm-hmm. yeah fun um yeah <laughs> if i would i guess i'd be weary of someone who's like pro removing and pro keeping in a dam you like just be careful it's a nuance it's it is nuanced yeah. and like that's what i'm leaving school it's like it's it's um what what are your stakeholders or the people that you're serving what what do they want and mm-hmm. like what um how can you serve them best so yeah. um a lot of these things that we do um, for example, there's, yeah, like, uh, big projects, like watershed management projects. It's like, well, get, get community input to see like how, how, how best to manage, uh, a watershed in this situation it could be very different from one person to the next, but if you get a community input, do like town hall meetings, like get an idea before you like 
develop a plan and this could go with the same for putting up or removing a dam and like see what the needs are and uh and go from there to have like the best idea and then have a, a document that can be like why are you doing it like this be like well we we this is what was the community like thought should be done so um nuanced right yeah i think the biggest thing that being in the sciences can teach somebody is there's no such thing as black and white there's not a definite yes and no answer yep. it's always well it depends on the situation or all right in this specific in this specific stakeholder situation yeah this is what we should do kind of thing you know mm -hmm. it's not going to be like oh we should just always do this because that's that's just leading you down the wrong situation it needs to be case by case yeah um but I think we've covered everything I wanted to talk about, Riley. Um, yes. Again, if you, the listener, wants to read up more about this, uh, this article is titled uh, The Global Dam Dilemma. It will be up on fishwaterandtravel.com. Uh, feel free to stop by there and look up all of our social, Facebook, Instagram, all the big ones, YouTube channel as well. And they are also Fishwater and Travel. So with that, I'll go ahead and call tonight. See you, Riley. Perfect. See you, man.